0: All right, friends, we're pleased to be joined by the one and only Ooh. Dan Bilesma, head coach yeah. of the Coachella Valley Firebirds, coached the Pittsburgh Penguins from 2008-2014, oh, won a Stanley Cup in 2009, a Jack Adams Trophy to boot in 2011, went on to coach the Sabres, Detroit Red Wings a bit as an assistant, coached the Olympics for United States in 2014. Without further ado, Dan Bilesma. Dan, how are we doing today?
1: We're doing great. We're doing great. Thanks for the introduction.
0: Absolutely. No problem. What's, so just a quick, uh, softball, to, to, uh, start things out. Uh, what's it like to wear flip-flops at the rink?
1: Ah, that's one of my favorite things about hockey. Uh, I've had a chance to do it in California for 10 years or so and Phoenix for a couple years. Um, and it's, uh, I'm, I'm an open toed shoes kind of player and coach. So it's, uh, it's good to not quite there yet, but it's good to, to, feel we're going to go to the warmth and have that opportunity
0: for sure so you know starting an AHL team from scratch as you guys are that's obviously a unique experience Um, there's not a lot of uh, Seattle prospects if you will Um, what's that sort of been like from the ground up getting this group together and you know assembling it from pretty much nothing
1: yeah, that's really you know it's it's not uh, it's not new to to kind of get a, a new group of guys uh, every year in the American Hockey League and build a team from the you know ground up so to speak. But what I think is unique and what is new for the Seattle organization is we're two years old. We've only had two drafts, and and that means we don't have a lot of young players. We don't have a lot of development players in the system. So building a team in, in Coachella. Uh, you're doing it a couple different ways that are unique. You're you're getting some free agents um, from uh, from other teams, getting free agents in their career, and you, we've we've got five or six guys that were in the expansion draft um, as a part of the expansion draft of Seattle two years ago. Alexander True and Cole Lind and um, you know Max McCormick. Gustav Gustav Olofsson, guys that uh, the Seattle picked up two years ago that are, are a big part of the team in Coachella.
2: Um, what intrigued you about this job and this opportunity?
1: Uh, well, I I I think I have a, a ton of passion for for getting with the guys, having the energy to to get with them in their career path and and developing. Them as people and as players, and uh, even last year, uh, getting the chance in Charlotte, splitting the year with uh, Seattle and Florida, there was uh, a chance to get these guys are on the beginning of their careers, they're on their development stage of their careers, and uh, there's just there's a lot of a lot of excitement and a lot of a lot of joy, frankly, of getting with the guys and developing them in their careers and, and getting them to the, the next level where they want to go.
0: From what I can see, your home opener isn't until December 18th, right?
1: December 18th is the, the home opener in the building in Coachella, yes.
0: So from now until then, like, what's that kind of been like? I know obviously you're not on the road for the entirety of this. You're obviously coming back at certain points. But what's kind of this transition phase like, given that you're on the road for huge you know, stretches at a time?
1: Yeah, I think the challenge really – comes when uh november 6th we head back we head to coachella to the to the desert for the first time we haven't been there yet we don't know it um you know right now for for us and the guys and the team seattle's home and seattle's our home base and that's where we've been for the last two and a half months or two months so so to speak so we've been on the road to calgary to play our first games one and two but we're coming back home to seattle to to, to get back at it. And we've played some home games here in Seattle. Um, but down the road, we're going to be, you know, in the next couple of weekends, we're, we'll be playing some more games, but we'll be heading to Coachella and then we will be home. And uh, we're going to be at, on the road playing road games for another you know, month and a half for five weeks, so to speak. So I'm really, uh, the guys right now, like we're, we've dug in, we're, we've considered this home. We're playing out of Seattle and, and, and that's where we're practicing. I'm, I'm the challenge for us is we're going to get back to, or we're going to get to Coachella for the first time, not back to, but we're going to get there and uh, still be on the road playing road games for another five weeks. So That that one is the mentality of our team, and and where we're at is going to change a little bit once we get to to Coachella.
0: Logistics wise, though, so if you guys are in Seattle, are you is your whole group in a hotel, and then you're going to transition to like do do players have places lined up in Coachella? Like that's a really you know unique kind of situation there.
1: It is. It is. Like we've uh, starting the summertime, Troy, Bodie, and and uh, the staff. Uh, for the Firebirds have started to arrange uh, potential places to, to stay and live in, in Coachella. And once uh, camp broke and, and we got our team, uh, the guys have had the opportunity to, to get a place right now in Coachella, sight unseen. We've, we've helped them out in that regard. Um, as far as us here, we're, we're, uh, there's a majority of us are in the hotel, um, living under one roof right now there are a few guys that um you know got a, a rental apartment uh Airbnb for a month, a month and a half and kinda have a place here as well. And then we'll be transitioning once you know we're gonna we're gonna play the games at Abbotsford on the third and fourth and uh we're gonna fly to to Coachella as a team from Seattle to to the valley to the desert uh and hopefully all of us have places to call home uh, when we, when we make that trip.
2: Um, last, last year you were in Charlotte, uh, kind of, uh, you know, representative for the Kraken in a way, and you had an opportunity to, to be part of it. It was essentially a dual affiliation and to work with Jordy Kier. Kind of what was that whole experience like, uh, you know, being able to, you know, test drive, um, you know, for eventually what might come down the road this year?
1: Yeah, I, I think, you know, it was, uh, it was, Uh, one experience that I think we, you went into with a little trepidation of Mm -hmm. dual affiliate and Seattle and, and the Panthers, Florida, Um, they're having half the team. We had half the guys, they play a different way. We play a different way. Mm -hmm. How are we going to come together and and, um, develop as a team? And I thought uh, Jordy, Kinnear and the Florida Panthers. They did an amazing job of welcoming us in. We did an amazing job of kind of combining the group to to become one. And um, there was some fortunate, you know, Florida wanted us to play a certain way in terms of D zone coverage and a few system things. And it coincided with how Seattle plays and how they're trying to do things. So from a development standpoint, from our players, uh, we were on the same page um, in that regard. And, And I said, Coaching with with Jordy, I, I had played with Jordy for three games a mm-hmm. long, long time ago. Uh, neither of us probably remembered it very well. So we were coming together as a staff for the first time and, and uh, Jordy did a great job of uh, welcoming us in and developing our our guys along with their guys as one unit.
0: You know, it's close to 15 years since you've been a head coach in the EHL. What are the biggest differences from back when you were running Wilkes-Barre Scranton to today in terms of what it's like to be in that role?
1: Well, it, uh, it brings back a lot of memory. It has been a long time. That was, uh, I was in Wilkes-Barre for two years as an assistant. Uh, and then the 08, 09 season started as the head coach. That was my first head coaching experience in Wilkes-Barre. And, and, uh, you know, I, I think um, you you don't know what it's like to be a head coach until you become a head coach, and you don't have head coaching experience until you get it. And that's a pretty o- overwhelming kind of task to to be to have. And that's what I remember about my experience in Wilkes-Barre that first year as a head coach is, you know, they're all looking to, to you to be the, the leader of the team and the – point in the right direction. And that's what I kind of feel like now with this new experience is I, I've, it's been a while, it's been a while since I've been a head coach. Um, and this is an opportunity to be a head coach again, but it also comes with, I get that same kind of feeling deer in the headlights, feeling a little bit of now they're, now they're all looking to you. Uh, and now they're all your little guy leading the direction and um except that that's an energizing thing to me I like it's a it's a great it's a great feeling as a person and as a coach you get to lead these guys and you get to develop these guys in a direction they want you know they're trying to get to the National Hockey League we're all trying to get to the National Hockey League in this league and and uh, they're and they're energetic and passionate about uh getting better and learning to get better and that's uh that's been a great thing about this opportunity and being a head coach for, for these guys.
2: Having had the NHL experience that you've had now coming back, what do you think you've brought back with you um, in terms of knowledge and just ideas that maybe you didn't have that first time around in Wilkesbury?
1: Well, I, I, well, shoot, shoot the first time in wilkes I kind of thought I had all the answers um, going into being a head coach. Um, you, you learn pretty quickly that like you don't have all the answers if you think you do, you're wrong. Um, and you're trying to get in with the guys and and come up with the answers in in terms of developing the team and, and them as players. And that's what I'm excited about, about getting back to being a head coach again. Like I, I I feel like a little bit as I went along in the national hockey league as a coach, I I lost that, uh, that passion and that, energy to get with the players and develop the players and develop the team. And, um, you know, I, I, that's kind of what I'm super, super excited about this opportunity is that, that, um, that opportunity to get back with the players, get them on their path and developing the players and the team, um, to where we want to go.
2: At this level, you have the prospects who are coming in 20, 21 years old, and they're kind of, eager and ready to go. And then you have sometimes those guys in the middle, the 25, 26, maybe have been kicked around a little bit in the business and they kind of bring some baggage with them. Um, How do you manage those guys and and all the different stages of careers that, that players are in at this level?
1: Well, I, you know, it's, it, the, the the American league brings uh, a couple different life experiences for the Mm -hmm. players. You mentioned that, uh, the young players that are just starting their pro career, um, that are, you know, kind of have the 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 eyes on the NHL and mm-hmm. development to the NHL, and and we have Ty Carte and Riker Evans, uh, and that are in that type of experience. But in the situation we're in, with um, you know not having a lot of developmental players, not a lot mm-hmm. of draft picks yet coming to the to the minor league team, uh, we have some older guys as well. But the older guys still have the goal and the dream to play in the National Hockey League and I think that's that's what's important about the guys we got is that they still have that burning desire and everyone's path is a little bit different Mm -hmm. you know it's it's um, you know myself I I didn't I played in the East Coast League for a year and a half and I made it to the American Hockey League and the IHL for two more years and I was 25 26 before I played my first games in the National Hockey League and I was, uh, made it to the National Hockey League as a full-timer when I was 26, 27 years old. So it's it's a little bit different for every one of the guys. Mm-hmm. But uh, the good thing is we have guys that, regardless of whether they're in their first year pro, whether they're development players, or whether they're maybe a little older guys that have been around, so to speak, they still have uh, the burning desire to, to try to get to the National Hockey League.
0: You know, obviously it's well known that Seattle you know, the original architects of the Kraken as they were getting ready for the expansion draft relied a lot on analytics. In terms of your process, whether it's tactics, player evaluation, player development, is that something that's integrated into your job uh, more frequently, I'm sure, than before, but
1: even at all? I, I think, you know, I, I don't want to say, I haven't, I guess I've been coaching now for 19 years. Um, that's something that's evolved uh, really over the the course of those nineteen years, um, I have been involved with the I don't want to say the bad, the good, and the bad of that, where you you're you're are trying to to measure the game and different metrics, shot totals, shot location, and and certain analytics of the game, but they've unequivocally been uh, a part of the development process now too in the game is is using where the analytics are, show your team is playing, where people are playing, how they're playing, and using that as a kind of a, an indicator or, or, or a, a direction as to where we want to play and how you want to play as, as individuals. So, um, you know, I, it, it is, I, I've had a lot of discussions already this year in, in analytics with the analytics staff we have with the Kraken Um, they've got a a ton of great information and I've already used it and tried to apply it to how we're coaching the guys and how we're coaching the team.
0: You mentioned how there's been, by the way,
1: don't, don't tell them that I said that though.
0: We won't, no worries, no worries. We're just, we're, we're, you know, on the internet, no, no one checks it. Um, so, you know, obviously you said you've been around the good and the bad, um, of it, you know, and I know you didn't love the way you phrased it there, but there's obviously, a process with getting familiar with it were you receptive in the heyday or the original like the first time somebody either gave you a spreadsheet or some sort of information with shot attempts or whatnot were you receptive to that sort of discourse or did it take you a bit to really um you know be respond, like work with it
1: yeah I, I i think the the difficult part about analytics with the game of hockey is that it's such a free-flowing game it's mm-hmm. it's not a stagnant game and there's not a stagnant events that happen in game there's not a uh you know a first pitch fastball that happens on the first pitch there's not a second pitch there's it is a free-flowing ever-flowing game and we've the the analytics community and, and the smart guys analyzing the game have tried to we're trying to break down the game and analyze the game it's a free-flowing game and there's almost never this thing that happens again there's never a third down and four there's it's always uh, there's always a little variation to to uh to the game of hockey and the flow of hockey and the bounce of the puck and where people are at and the speed of the game and the time on the clock um and so i think over the over the last you know 15 years there's been a We've kept trying to get better at that analyzing of the game and, and the information that is we're, we're producing and what it says. And so I think it's it's come a long long way you know from the beginning but the but the, the there's always been an, trying to analyze the game and always trying to get information that you can help you coach your team and coach your players and see how they're playing and see how your your team is playing. Um, I just, I think it's just gotten better and better. You know, over the last 10 years. And, and now, you know, now I think the, as coaches, um, we trust the analytics more now to help us coach the teams. In Don, the HL, like
2: you know, 10, 15 years ago in the HL, you know, if you had a video coach, <laughs> you're kind of ahead of the game. And now everybody has it, they have goalie coaches. There's a lot more voices to manage as a head coach. How, how's that different now than when you started back then?
1: Well, I, I don't know if it's you have to manage more voices, but you know, you you said it perfectly when when I got the first opportunity to coach in the American Hockey League, two thousand four, two thousand five, it was a head coach and an assistant coach, and that was it. And looking back to my playing days in 2000 and 92 and 94, we had a head coach um, nice. and sometimes a part time assistant guy who came and volunteered or helped out at, on home days. So in 2004, you know, the video was we were just getting video systems mm. and you would record the game each period and the coaches were the video coaches we broke down you know we had to plug in and we had to get everything set up and and then we broke down the game after the game um so we were the video coaches in wilkes we started to get a part-time video coach finally came in and that was at home games and that was an intern and then that turned into a full-time video coach and you know that the game has evolved greatly since then. Because now, you know, in our condensed office that we have here in Seattle right now, um, you know, we have a, a Stu Bickle, assistant coach, and Jessica Campbell, assistant coach, and um, our video coach is still at work right over my shoulder here, working. And we have a full-time goalie coach as well. So we, I feel like we have a staff that was bigger than the first staff I had in Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. at the time, but, uh, it's, it's a great asset for the players. It's a great asset for the coaches, uh, to be able to, to get all the information and do everything we can to help the players develop and, and grow. And so it's, it's not, it's not that hard managing them. Mm-hmm. It's hard getting good. It's, you know, you get good people and you get good coaches and you give them the tools and the assets and, and, uh, it's great for the players to have this kind of coaching development for, for them. All right. Well, Dan, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, You know,
0: enjoy life in the, in the hotel. Hopefully we can get into some sort of stable living soon and uh, it all works out for you, but thanks. And hopefully we can talk to you soon.
1: All right. Thanks, Jacob. Thanks, Patrick. Great.
0: Thank you. All right. So uh, what do you think about having Dan Balsma bat lead off for us?
2: Uh, I think that's a good start. Um, It's a little piece of trivia. He's the only, only the second ever Jack Adams winner to come back to the AHL. Um, wow. Tom Watt back, uh, I believe it was 94 with St. John's. It's the only other coach to have done so. Who so is that? It's, it's Tom Watt with the uh, mm. the old St. John's Maple Leafs. Um, so it's a very unique path that he's taken. Um, he's he's seen so many different levels of the game. He's coached Sidney Crosby uh, and Malkin. He's been an Olympic coach competed for the Stanley cup. Um, he's been an assistant coach. He's been an AHL assistant coach. He's
0: in been the out. star of HBO 24 seven. Yeah. That's his biggest claim to fame used to watch <laughs> him, I remember watching him eat dinner with his family Yeah, on yeah. Uh, HBO 24 seven.
2: So he brings a lot of different uh, vantage points to the job. You know, he can understand yeah. the business, you know, from the eyes of someone like Crosby all the way down to maybe a guy, in the fourth line in the AHL who's, who's just trying to keep his head above water to stay in the HL. So it's a, it's a very good perspective that way.
0: No, for sure. And I think that what's interesting about someone like Balsma is, Oh, sorry. I'm difficulties. Sorry. Can we restart there? Connor? I'm going to say something.
2: Yeah, you're good. Um, That sounds like my dog's coming upstairs. Sorry. Uh, Yeah. We can restart. Um
0: sorry about that guys.
2: All good. Um I'm so i, I think Can you hear us?
0: Yeah. How are we now? Good. good.
2: Um can we like yeah. when you guys after the Biosma sort of recap stuff, can you sort of introduce the show and who you are? Because we yeah. haven't done that yet.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's what I was um, gonna do right after that. I was gonna lead perfect. into it. Okay. Um cool. so are we starting from scratch?
2: Yeah, but I can't end the recording because... Yeah, yeah, that's fine. That's
0: that's
2: Um, totally fine. So, yeah. Uh, Sorry, my dog's
0: in line. I'm Uh, sorry about that, guys. My bad. It's all good. Okay, so we're starting from scratch. All right. And I'll keep going. So, Dan Bilesma batting cleanup. How about that, Pat?
2: A good a good start a good start to the show. Um, Really interesting guest. uh, Obviously, with his background as an NHL head coach and Olympic coach, uh, Jack Adams, winner, um, you know somebody that's uh, been an assistant coach at both the NHL and the AHL levels, and now is almost trying to come full circle from where he started uh, back to the AHL, but back to a very different AHL from when he started. Uh, and uh, he brings a very interesting perspective in the sense that he's worked with Crosby and Malkin and the stars of the, the NHL and he's been able to see the game from all sorts of different vantage points. I think that it's a very unique perspective at this level uh, to have somebody with that kind of insight. Somebody who's won a Jack Adams, only the second coach ever to win a Jack Adams and then come back to the American hockey league. Uh, Tom Watt uh, back in the nineties was the other one. Uh, so, it's uh, it's kind of a unique situation to start with, and now you have a coach like that in an even more unique situation with his team, um, essentially being based in a different city for two and a half months, uh, kind of living this very uh, you know travel oriented life, and now they're you know they're just trying to find their way as as a team that's more or less a blank canvas, and so it's a very very unique situation in this league.
0: Absolutely. And we're hoping to touch on a couple more throughout the year on the Hawk News on the A podcast. I'm Jacob Stoller, obviously. Pat Williams joining me. We're really excited to get into more interviews like the one you saw with Dan Bilesma. A lot of good people in this league to talk to. And uh, yeah, we're excited to, in addition to speaking about the prospects in the NHL, sorry, from NHL teams talking to guys like Dan Bilesma. And, you know, if you have any suggestions, you can reach out to any of us on Twitter and whatnot, we'd love to, to make it happen. So one thing that we're going to be doing is throughout each episode and whatever, you know, we're on here, we'll have a prospect of the week. We'll discuss kind of some storylines that are, you know, happening things that are have to do with the NHL teams and, and, and that sort of stuff. So, and along with, you know, evaluating certain teams, prospect pools, um, but to start for this week, this is a really interesting situation that I'll be honest, I did not know was even happening until I read Pat's article, and that is Ty Smith, the mm-hmm. Devils' first-round pick from 2018 or 19, I can't or might have been earlier, uh, 22-year-old defenseman who was part of the trade. Um, the Devils traded him for and a third-round pick for John Marino. He was acquired by the Penguins, and he is now in the AHL, and he's played over a hundred games in the NHL to boot and now he's in the minors Pat from what, and you wrote an article where you spoke to wilkes you mm-hmm. kind of went into a unique situation because, you know, he made the all rookie team right. In his first year, he had like 20 plus points in each season, very highly touted prospect who went from junior to the NHL and now is kind of going back back down to the HL to round out of his game. It's a weird situation. I'd be curious to know what you kind of garnered from your time speaking to everyone involved.
2: Yeah. It's, uh, some parallels almost to the biomass, plasma situation, a guy who had obviously some real success at the NHL level and is now finds himself back in the HL trying to get back up to the NHL. And, um, it's a very unique, unique situation. I think more so even, uh, the fact that it's a defenseman, um, that uh, I think by far is the most difficult position to develop in this league. Um, the American hockey league really tests. Even uh, I've spoken to, to players that come down with NHL five, 10 years of experience. Maybe they come down on a, a rehab assignment and they find that uh, it's very difficult to play at this level. Cause it's uh, it's a lot more unpredictable. It's a lot more uh, kind of guys running around trying to make, make an impact. Uh, so you have someone like Ty Smith, who's, really throughout his entire career, has had nothing but success going all the way back to junior with Spokane. Um, first overall pick in WHL draft, back to back WHL defenseman of the year, uh, success with world junior with Canada. Um, and he comes right into the NHL all rookie Everything seems like it's right on track. Two right. years later, here he is now he's in the American hockey league. You know, he just played a three and three weekend kind of the, the classic uh, introduction to the American hockey league. Um, and I think, uh, my takeaway from him is that uh, he seems like he's on board with uh, the plan. Now, I think it's easier when you look at that Pittsburgh roster and you, if you're being honest with yourself, there's not a whole lot of openings there. Um, and, right. You know, so I think he can get his head around that a lot, lot better than perhaps if that wasn't the case. Uh, but it's uh, it's definitely an adjustment mentally. Also, game wise as well. Like I said, uh, it's, a, it's sometimes a much different game at this level, um, and you know the, the way guys come and go on the rosters. There's a lot less opportunity for cohesion, so it's going to test them a lot in that regard as well.
0: Yeah, I mean, I also think it's it's certainly a positive to hear that he's, you know, taking this the quote unquote right way. Mm-hmm. But he's played over a hundred games in the NHL. This is a guy that's played with some of the, the world's best you have to think that when Pittsburgh acquired him, they envisioned him being in their lineup this year. Maybe not, but I I would tend to think that would be the case, especially when you're giving away a John Marino um, in that sort of deal. And to me, you know, it makes you wonder what the plan really is here, right? So if it's 20, 25 games, you have him there to shore up defensively, Mm -hmm. right? What does that look like? Because and when I say that, I mean, is it you know below the hash mark? Is it one on one battles? Uh, because it's it's got to be something small. The speed is a, a step below. You know, mm-hmm. transition defense wise, you're not gaining much from that. Yeah. Um, there's a lot more chaos. So, yeah. you know, I, I get the positive angle from it. I'm sure Pittsburgh's thrilled. You know, from an asset management standpoint, mm-hmm. that he's not sulking and, and freaking out. But, you know, you mentioned about unique how Balsma. Going back to the A, I looked through you know NHL all rookie teams and I couldn't go through every one, but I did not see anyone there that made it and not let alone wasn't a household name, but mm-hmm. that ended up in the AHL. So yes, there's a lot of bodies in Pittsburgh, but you know at, w- at what point here do you you either move one out for him? Granted, if he's ready, if you think that that would have to happen, I think right away. Because in my opinion, if it's a logjam issue. Um, Mm -hmm. You got to fix that. Now, if it's not, and you actually think he needs to be in the AHL, you know, that's definitely, it's it's worrisome. Um, You know, I I checked in with a couple people on this, uh, you know, that are in the league, uh, working for teams and and whatnot that have seen him. And the premise I heard was more the same of that New Jersey did not believe he was able to improve defensively. And which, you know, would make sense. But I also think that, A lot of people thought his production was kind of empty calorie. Like how he was producing, even if it wasn't all in the power play, um, wasn't that amazing? Because his transition game wasn't great, exiting Mm -hmm. the zone as a puck count. There were certain question marks there. That while he did get 20 plus points, maybe he was not as finished of a product as we thought. So it's weird. I've never like as I said, I've never seen something like this. I don't even know what to make of it.
2: Yeah, we don't, that's the complicated thing. We don't have a comparable here. We don't have something I, that we can yeah. say, All
0: oh, right, you know, a couple years
2: ago, so-and-so went through the same experience. And, you know. Well, you know,
1: it's funny because like I we, read,
0: I read something uh, from a, a Penguins beat writer, um, I believe it was with The Athletic. I can't remember. Um, yeah, it was. And uh, they had mentioned that when they did their, you know, end of season, sorry, uh, season preview, like they're, the roster, they kind of made it seem like the Ty Smith move was like just to get because Pierre Olivier Joseph wasn't um waiver exempt, like that kind of like more of like a paper move, and that they would bring him back up. Now that that's not the case, yeah, it, it's it's really a unique situation.
2: Yeah, my my sense is they wanted to work on his reads a lot in the defensive zone, and I, 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 you know, if I kind of extrapolate from that, it's this the idea that if you can sort of manage the chaos and to read that chaos in the AHL, that when you come to the NHL, it's going to be, obviously, it's a much more crisp, much more uh, composed uh, style game that the thinking goes, I think that you would be able to then make that transition pretty easy. Now that's there, you know, there's a lot of, you know, ifs in that, but you know, if that is the case, then I think, then I think there's something to it, but it, there's no questions. It's, it's a strange situation. I remember when, you know, when that move finally did come down a, a couple weeks back, I was, I was like, wow, they, 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 went through with it. So, uh, um, I think, you know, it, the first couple weeks are one thing in this league. Now I want to see that's you start getting into that November, December stretch the games, start piling up. Um, yeah. roster moves start happening. That's where, where I think you really start to test players at this sure. level and you, you see if they think or swim. Um, so for sure, you know, I, I don't think they necessarily care if he's down in the American league producing points. I think it's, they want him, everything else without the puck is, is what they want to focus in on.
0: And Hey, you know, maybe if the uh, log jam loosens up a bit, one injury, he's back right up. And, you know, speaking of log jams, the LA Kings, okay. Their prospect pool, like is like rush hour traffic on the Gardner here in Toronto. I, I, I don't even know how they, they draft so well and they had so many picks over the last couple of years because of, you know, their brief kind of retooling phase that they have this plethora of prospects at the helm in Ontario. They're so deep that a guy like Jordan Spence, right shot defenseman, I, for my money, he is an NHL defenseman. Yeah, And I think he proved that last year. And, you know, uh, there's another, there's, there's other players that are, um, Oh, it's, it's, uh, escaping me uh, Bjornfoot uh, mm-hmm. is also there as well and you know LA has a real real deep prospect pool and what's interesting here Pat is they're kind of linked to Jacob Chikorin, uh sweepstakes in some degree and you know there's definitely the ammunition on their end to sort of get that deal going Um, Dersey, Doughty, all these guys are kind of clogging up that right side, Brant Clark as well. Um, and weighing the wings are guys like Jordan Spence, Heldy Granz, Samuel Fajimo, you know, those are big names uh there. Pat, from your vantage point, you know, of the guys I mentioned, Spence, maybe to start here, what is his upside and what do you think Ella could get out of him? Whether it's there or you know, he ends up going somewhere else.
2: First off, extremely smart. Uh, I talked to him, uh, had some real, uh, couple extended discussions discussions with him last year. And just, he's one of those people, when you speak to him, you can tell the light's on right off the bat. Uh, uh, just a smart, smart uh, person, I think, on and, on, and off the ice. Um, I was surprised and I wasn't. Uh, if this was any other NHL operation, I would think, I'd be extremely surprised to see him back in the HL. It's only because you mentioned that log jam um, that he is back in the HL. Essentially, I I think Jordan Spence is an NHL player now, who's biding his time in the HL. Which that can be a that can be a a, a tricky situation for players when they are ready for
0: sure. I mean, for uh, for him too. If you're looking at LA, and if he is in fact ready. The, the longer you've got him there, not only from, you know, what we're seeing with Jack Rathbone in Vancouver or Billy Heinle in Winnipeg, when you're kind of in that in between, you got, you got the, 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 the clock is ticking for LA with regards to that.
2: Yeah. And, and you just go up and down that line. If you have Kupari at 20th overall, you have uh, a a at 22nd overall, um, uh, kill Thomas 51st. who's he's had a little bit of a slow start to his career, but I think he is starting to figure some things out. And, um, Helga Granz, like uh, like you mentioned 35th overall i mean up and down the lineup they even brought in leah anderson who's only 24 it seems like he's been around much longer but he's 24 7th overall pick by the rangers uh when he came in so um they took him on as a little bit of a you know long term um play you know uh, project but uh you know he's he's another one right like you know he's He's down in Ontario. They have them working with Marco Sturb, a longtime NHL veteran. So I think that's going to be a different perspective as well. Um, yeah, so the, like you said, with the chicken uh, situation, LA has the assets. If they want to make that happen, if they, if they want to really go for that move, um, you, could dangle, you, know, you could dangle two or three of those guys and you could still have a good pool of prospects even after that move.
0: Well, yeah, and and everything with hockey at the professional level is circumstantial, right? Like someone that's a six or seven on a different lineup could be a four or five on yours. Maybe not that big of a gap per se, as I just kind of mentioned, but a team could certainly look at a Jordan Spence, for example, and say, he he could be our our, our number four, right? Like, Like that, and for Arizona in that situation, I think that that would make a lot of sense. Now, the question is, are any of these guys that we just mentioned sort of good enough to be the type of prospects that are cornerstones in a trade? So Peyton Krebs in the Eichel deal, right? Like leading up to it, he was the sticking point. That's who they wanted. That was the, it had to be him. So I wonder with any of these guys, are they sort of those big draws? I think Spence is going to be a good defenseman, but I think if anyone would be, that person, it's going to be healthy Grands. He's mm-hmm. 19 years old, six foot four, I believe he has that size. And also he's just getting comfortable with his body yeah. And I watched a lot of his clips. And what I find so interesting with him is he's he like, as I said, he's just getting started and he has the shot. He has the ability to really use his reach and weave through traffic offensively. And then also defensively that, you know, give him a year or two in the A, This could be a really, really strong player. And he's overlooked because of what I mentioned in terms of circumstances. Like LA has so many guys here and one of them has to move. They have to get players out or else. So they're, they are they not even do themselves any favors from an asset management standpoint. Um, I wonder if a guy like Samuel Fujimo is looked at from Arizona, you know, a guy that's scored at every level, he's got a, a rifle of a shot mm-hmm. and with like when you have so many prospects in Ontario or at any hall team, and you're at the point where you've got so many people that are of the same kind of age, people get left behind. And further to that, even your best guys, they're kind of shortened a bit as well because they're not getting as many reps as if they were sort of given all the attention. So it'll be interesting with LA because last year it was there, there was a lot of people there, a lot of bodies. Yeah. And when you have, uh, I'm not saying it's a bad thing. You never have too many, you know, valuable prospects, but I wonder if from LA's vantage point, they start to wonder, okay, do we cut bait with a couple of these guys or sort of cash in when the value is high in some regard? Because as I said, they can't we'll all stay there forever.
2: It's, it's a good question too. Right. And you, if you're at LA, at some point you have to think, well, we have to take that next step now. Right. Like, right. At what point uh, are we kind of through that rebuild that we did, uh, the post-cup rebuild? Oh, they're through are it. We, when you go against well
0: Kevin Fiala, you're you're through it. But well, right? while
2: we like, take, we, there's through it, and then there's really through it. Where right, you're, right. You're thinking now, okay, we're a team that can go two, three rounds deep into the to the playoffs. We can maybe uh, compete for a cup. You know, beyond that, so you, while you still have Kopitar in your window, while you still have Dowdy in your window, uh, so it's it's that that tricky situation where you want to kind of everything to hit at the right time. Uh, that, that young group to come up in, in time in order to be able to play while that older core is still um, able to be a high level, uh, you know, group of contributors. So, you know, it's, it's a nice problem to have, but it is a, it's a challenge. Uh, I think for that LA front office to, to try to manage all these different moving parts, um, and get it right. I mean, you, you'd hate to not manage it correctly and maybe have prospects not meet their potential because, uh, I, you know, when I go through, you know, the, the last I don't know, 10, 15 years, I'd be hard pressed to find a better group of prospects on one AHL team than what I've seen with the Ontario reign of the last couple of years. And this doesn't even count the fact that Byfield's up now. Yeah. Uh, Calief is up. I mean, these guys are graduates, Villardi.
0: Uh, right down the list. But with that, Pat, the fear becomes you get rid of the wrong guy, right? You get rid of the, the player that yes. could have, you know, hit his his sort of stride. And LA's situation is similar to the teams of like Ottawa and, you know, Columbus, um, where our prospect of the week is. And what I mean by similar is with regards to you're kind of over the rebuild hump, but you're not fully out of it, right? You have mm-hmm. a young roster, a plethora of guys, and they're our player of the week, our prospect of the week, will you? is Kirill Marchenko of the Cleveland Monsters. This guy is going to be a player, folks. Seven points in five games so far with the Cleveland Monsters. And it's interesting. The 22-year-old right wing who was drafted by Columbus the second round of the 2018 draft, um, you know, he was in the cage all the last three or four years with, with St. Petersburg. And last year, it got tough for him because I read an article by Aaron Portsline, also The Athletic, and he mentioned how when SKA came to, to Marchenko and asked him to re-sign a three-year deal, um, he declined, obviously, and then there was a brief period he was sent down to the minors because of that. So he's had a, a different development route. But so far with Cleveland, this guy's looked like a player. You know, it's no wonder that Brad Larson, Columbus' head coach, said at training camp that cutting him was a tough thing to do. Um, he has a goal scorer's touch, possesses a quick release, and with you know European players, um, you know, playing on a smaller ice surface, obviously, something that is adjustment and whatnot. Hmm. And that's why it's even more encouraging that Marchenko has made a lot of plays in the slot. He's got good hands and tight at six foot three. I wouldn't say he's a power forward per se, uh, maybe that you would traditionally think, but the way that he can possess the puck and control it and get that release off and, and separate himself from defenders. That's really where size is such a big value. And Marchenko has showed so far that, you know, the hype is real with a guy like him and he he's, he's really on the cusp. I don't know how much longer he'll even be in the league to be frank with you.
2: Yeah, and it's funny we had that discussion. It was like we better get to talk about uh, this guy while well, he's still in the league because uh, you know he's playing first line minutes in Cleveland with uh, you know good solid veteran like Brendan Gaunce, yeah, um, Carson Meyer, another uh, player that uh, Columbus is high on, and um, it's a good group that they've put together in Cleveland that was real thin the last uh, number of years. Um, Marchenko obviously is kind of the the highlight of that 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 uh, group and you know, you look at a player and that, that transition from the KHL, you know, some guys make it really smooth, smoothly. Other guys, it's, it's a much more difficult adjustment. He's, he's handled it even better. I think than Columbus could have reasonably expected.
0: Oh yeah. Um, there's and, just so uh, many guys in front of him, which sucks, right? Yeah. There's, there's so many, they have Chinkanov. They've got Kent Johnson. They've got Sillinger. They've got, um, I'm talking about younger players, right? They're integrating mm-hmm. degree in their lineup. So, it becomes what do you do with that situation, but I I think you know him dominating Cleveland for however long it may be. I think that's fine. Injuries happen; he'll be up in in due time, um, you know, to show what he has. But I don't know if there's really harm in him staying in where he's at with Cleveland.
2: Uh, you make a great point. Injuries happen. I think that's so so often coming out of training camp. People, if they see somebody sent down, it's uh, kind of like. Uh, the end of the world, and, and and I always say this to people. I mean, you can never have enough depth at the AHL level, and um, inevitably, there's going to be an injury, there's going to be a slump, somebody's not going to perform up to expectations, you name it. Even the best laid plans at the NHL level will go awry at some point, and that's where a guy like Marchenko will be able to step right in, and you bring him up. It's a two-hour ride from Cleveland. It's 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 not the old AHL where they sent you off and you forgot about you. I mean, there's Cle- Cleveland, every night in Cleveland, there's Columbus management there. They, they go up uh, after work a lot of times, five o'clock. They're in town by seven o'clock for face-off. So, um, you know, you're not forgotten there. It's a, they have a really good uh, development staff uh, with Columbus that works on a regular basis with Cleveland. So, And he's I, I like the fact, too, he's getting kind of a taste of the HO early on. They're on a 16 road trip right now just did a three and three. So you're really kind of putting through that crucible um, testing. them, And that's what the American league is about. Maybe more than anything, it's it's putting players in uncomfortable, difficult situations, seeing how they handle it, seeing how they they adjust and innovate and come up with solutions to those challenges. And and the ones that do are the ones that go off to the NHL and you never see them again.
0: Exactly. And, just from a skill standpoint, we, we talked about how he's not going to be someone that will be here much longer. Aside from all those little things, you know, you can tell with him when you just watch him play that he's, he's not going to be there. Uh, the release, all those things. So you're right. Um, when you see that kind of happen, the mm-hmm. instinct is to say, Oh, bring him up. There's no benefit there, but of course it's a marathon, right? Not a sprint. And, and getting that experience is definitely going to help him uh, down the line. And also, I, I think you can make the argument that playing, what, like eight to 10 minutes, like what, what's that going to do from the NHL at this point? Mm-hmm. Give, give him those 20 minutes a night or whatever it is that he's playing in Cleveland. Let him be the guy, or maybe not the guy, right? Like, but that's not really, really how it works. But let him be a go-to option, dominate the A. And as I said, he'll be back before you know it. Um, but, you know, for today, that's, I think, all that we've got, Thank you for listening. And again, as I mentioned, let us know if there's any guests you want us to have on. We'll try our very best. Prospect of the Week suggestions, we're open to it. Um, or we'll debate with you, who knows. But uh, th- that's kind of all of it for us for this week. And uh, yeah, we'll see you next week.